Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recording. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. We got a full house. I love seeing the last few weeks. I know, this is great. We're filling this place up. I love seeing that. We're going to be uh, continuing a series. We're doing a series going through Mark. So today we're going to finish up chapter one. And I just kind of want to start by reading the section together. So if you have your Bible, flip it open or scroll over to Mark one. We're going to start in verse 16. And I just want to read through it. It's going to be quick because we're going to dive into it throughout the rest of the time. But I just think it's important to read scripture together in a Christian community. That's something that kind of our modern church setup doesn't always allow for. So I just want to take some time and and read the scripture together. So uh, I'll read it very quickly. We're just, I'm just going to fly through it, and then we're going to kind of take it apart a little bit. We're going through the last uh, half of chapter one. I'm not going to do the last section, though, because it just kind of carries on some of the themes that I want to look at. So we'll start in verse 16, and you can kind of read along with me. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father. Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, I'm going to pause right there. Like, I'm glad you're excited. Not everything has to be immediately, but we'll match the energy that he's he's bringing here. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and... All right. A little ironic how long it took you to say that, but all right. And immediately they told him about her. (laughs) And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought with him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said, to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And I want to stop there because that last sentence kind of wraps up what I think is really the push that Mark is trying to get in the second part of the chapter. You know, this this first chapter is kind of like the introduction of Jesus, you know, the, the beginning of his ministry. And as he says, he's coming out as he is in fullness, his full identity as the Messiah. And eventually that's going to become developed. But this is setting kind of the, the tone, the cadence of his ministry. And I think there's some really important things things in here that we as a modern audience really miss because we don't understand a lot of the the cultural background that the original audience for Mark would have just known immediately and would have understood a lot of the weight that's carried in here. Because there's some really cool stuff in this passage that is easy to miss. I mean, it seems like, oh, kind of a crazy story, and then we kind of move on. But there's actually, once you understand some of the cultural stuff happening with the actors in the story, it brings an immense weight to what's happening here as Jesus begins his ministry. We're going to go into a little bit of that cultural background, but I also wanted to, just briefly as a side note, uh, the leadership team has kind of 
talked about this idea of offering like, you know, a class um, kind of outside the Sunday gathering that, you know, goes into more detail, like what is the Bible? How is it put together? How do we approach it? How do we read it? But also going into some more of that cultural background um, that gives us some more meaning behind it, or even just diving more into the text that we don't really get to do in, you know, 30-ish minutes on a Sunday morning. So probably not a weekly class. That's probably a little too much commitment, but maybe bi-weekly or monthly. I just want to get a quick poll while we're all here, just a raise of hands. Would anybody be interested in that? Is that something that people would go to if we offered it? We just get a poll. Yeah, it'd probably be in person, but we'd offer Zoom if that was easier for people. I don't, that's not too hard. We all kind of live in that world now. So yeah, okay. It looks like there's a spattering of people. So maybe that's something we'll continue to talk about. I think that uh, that could be something really helpful for our community, especially because we, we attract, thankfully, a lot of people who uh, they didn't grow up in church. They don't have a lot of that kind of background. They haven't studied the Bible academically. So I think something like that could be really good for our community. But getting back to the text, I, I want to start with Jesus calling the disciples and we had the fun little story time and it kind of alluded to some of the things that we're going to see in here because by itself, let's appreciate that it's a pretty weird story. Uh, that Jesus, a grown man, is standing on the shore of a lake yelling at people to be his friends. And it works. They do it. <laughs> uh, you ever hear that joke that the miracle of the New Testament that no one ever talks about is a man in his 30s with 12 close friends? <laughs> this is the secret, apparently. This is how you do it. Practical advice for the modern world in the Bible. Don't tell me otherwise. So, But to us, it feels like kind of a weird story. And, and we kind of assume maybe that's not exactly how it went. It, you know, Mark's just trying to get this idea across quickly. But actually, if we look at the society and the culture that, that these people are interacting in, it actually brings some sense to the story. It actually makes a little more sense because these are all Jewish men in, in first century Israel. And at that time, they already had a very well-structured and organized rabbinical tradition. And it ran through the synagogue, which was very central to their lives and to their identities as Jewish people. It's very important to them. They took it very seriously. Everybody kind of took part and cooperated in that. And every region or larger population center had its own synagogue that the rabbis would kind of operate out of. And, you know, they came and discussed kind of similar to what we do here, but it was also their education center. And there was three levels of education. There was Bet Safir, which was all the children, boys and girls, it would seem, at a young age, that would get kind of the basic education in Jewish law and scriptures, the Torah and the Talmud. Uh, and that was kind of your basic. You would just learn the stories, not unlike what we did here. And we're kind of tying these stories, by the way, to the oral tradition that many of our religious ancestors, this is how they passed down these stories. And so that was kind of like the kids got, you know, at a young age, they got educated in the synagogue on these basics. And then, you know, they would get older, they would start to move into their trade, be it business or domestic. And the, the better students, along with learning their trade, would come back to the synagogue for the next level, the Bet Midrash. By the way, I'm going to be saying a lot of these words. Let's just assume I'm using a perfect Hebraic pronunciation <laughs> and we'll just move on because I'm not. <laughs> but um, the Bet Midrash was like the next level for the better students who wanted to learn more. And they would learn not just the stories and, and the elements of the Torah that they would memorize. They would start to learn the oral Torah, it was called, or the tradition of rabbis, the most successful and authoritative rabbis throughout their long history who had given interpretations of the Torah and the Talmud. And they would begin to learn what some of the most famous rabbis had interpreted the Torah. They would kind of learn that next level of detail with it. And the synagogue, there was this long tradition of famous rabbis throughout history of Israel that would give these interpretations and it would be discussed at the synagogue. Rabbis would kind of debate them. They'd kind of fall into their schools. I like this guy's interpretation best because of these reasons, that kind of stuff. And there was a long, it was codified, it was passed down through stories. And that's what was learned in the second level. Those were kind of like the best students who were also learning their trade at the same time. But then the third level was for the very few in the region who were the absolute best students, the most interested. And they would move on to like apply to be what was called the Talmud or the plurals Talmudim of a famous rabbi in the in somewhere in Israel. And they would essentially be kind of like their disciple of what we see with Jesus and his disciples. They would leave home usually. They would go and, and travel with their rabbi, live with their rabbi, learn from their rabbi, imitate their rabbi. And eventually they would become a rabbi of their own and they would pass on their rabbi's uh, tradition. But that was like the creme de la creme of the society. Only the best, the very few got to do that. So what we see here in this story, I tell you all that because what we see is Jesus, who's at least in some part following 
following this rabbinic tradition. We're going to see that in a bit. He's calling his own Talmudim. He's calling his own disciples. They're not applying, so to speak, to be with him. He's calling them, and he's not calling them from the rabbinical tradition, from the synagogue system. He's in the marketplace. He's in their workplace, as we talked about earlier. He's you know on the shore where they work, calling them from their trade, which is a big deal because we see them in their trade, which means they're not Talmudim, probably because they weren't good enough. They had to leave the synagogue training system to go work a trade, and they only went through the first, maybe the second level. But Jesus is calling them out like, hey, come be my Talmudim. And they jump out of their boats or row their boats ashore or whatever they did immediately because this is a huge opportunity for them. This is some serious upward mobilization in the society. They get to be the followers of this kind of hot new rabbi in town with the promise of becoming a rabbi themselves, a very uh, revered position in society. This is a massive promotion for them. It's way better being a rabbi than being a fisherman till the day you die, right? <laughs> so understanding that, the story actually makes a lot of sense that they jumped out of their boats or they went and followed him immediately, not because being fishers of men is such an incredible statement that they couldn't help themselves. It's because Jesus was offering them this incredible opportunity for growth. And ultimately, they would become rabbis themselves, is the hope. And they had good reason to be excited because what we see in the rest of this verse is Jesus doing something that I did not realize before. His coming out as, as this rabbi, he is blowing the roof off his place because it says, and they went into Capernaum, one of the cities on the shore of Galilee, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So here he's following a very rabbinical tradition. It's the Sabbath. Everyone goes to synagogue, very similar to coming to church on Sunday. Jesus comes in, he's teaching, but it's the next verse that really adds a ton of weight to what he's doing. Because it says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And there's a very specific Hebrew word that this time I will not embarrass myself by trying to pronounce for the word authority that strongly implies that Jesus is not just teaching them the traditions of the past. He's giving a new interpretation of the Talmud and the Torah, just like those most accomplished and famous rabbis of the past. He's now coming in with authority, giving his own interpretation. And this is huge. This is the kind of thing that probably hasn't been seen for generations, at least not in this region. Probably his audience, you know, the people in the area of Capernaum coming to synagogue have never heard this. Here's this guy probably came out of nowhere. We have no record of Jesus growing up in the rabbinic tradition. He was not, as far as we know, a Talmud of any rabbi. He was probably, we don't know, but most likely a carpenter in some podunk village of Nazareth. One of the things I was reading in my research was it was a one donkey town. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he kind of comes out and is this amazing rabbi with the authority to give his own interpretation. That is crazy. They were astonished at his teaching because unlike all the other rabbis who just talked about what these famous rabbis in the past had interpreted, he's giving his own interpretation. That is amazing. That is a crazy Sabbath for these people. But then immediately <laughs> he tops that with this incredible scene, this very dramatic scene of someone in the community who's possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon coming in and challenging him through like the demonic voice or something. And everyone knows this guy, right? It's a tight-knit community. So they know what's going on with him. And Jesus drives the demon out. Not only does he have authority to interpret the Torah for himself, he also has authority to release the demon from this guy who probably has had it for a long time. Everybody knew him. And boom, just like that, by very word, he drives this demon out. And Mark repeats himself in 27. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region. There's good reason his fame is spreading all at once. He came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> Somebody sing Miley Cyrus for me real quick. Jesus is blowing people's minds. This is a crazy Sabbath. First, he does something that they haven't seen probably in generations. And then right after that, he does something they didn't even know was possible. But what's more amazing than that is the very next sentence, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue. Jesus is at the height of his power right now. He, he has got the entire region eating out of the palm of his hand here in the synagogue on Sabbath. And he leaves the synagogue. He leaves the central place of the community. And where does he go? To his friend's house. He goes to his friend's house where he meets the mother-in-law who is two 
sick to even get out of bed when people came to her house. She's probably on her deathbed with a fever that very well made killing her if she can't even get up when guests come to her home, which is a huge value in their society. And just with a touch, he heals her. And then verse 32, that evening at sundown, an important phrase for Jewish people because it's the Sabbath, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed. The entire town gathered at his door and he healed many from various diseases, freed them from oppression by demons. Jesus left the synagogue and now he was available to all the people. Now he has left the synagogue, does this amazing teaching, this dramatic scene of freeing someone from a demon, leaves the synagogue, goes to his friend's house, and now he's available to everyone. Now he's healing individuals, freeing them from oppression. What he's really doing is transforming a community, right? The whole city is at Simon and Andrew's door. And rising very early in the next morning, before the sun comes up, he tries to escape the crowd to have some time to himself. Because here's the thing, it was the Sabbath. He did way more work than he was supposed to do on a Sabbath, right? But you know, it's like, it was so amazing what was happening that day. Nobody seemed to care from what we can tell from the text. Although that comes back later. And Jesus will address that with, you know, very important religious people who have a real problem with them healing people on the Sabbath. We're going to see that scene later in the book. So Jesus had a very busy Sabbath. It was crazy. Everybody's talking. The whole region is a buzz. He sneaks off before the sun rises to get away from the crowd. I hear that. Can I get an amen? As an introvert, you need some time away from the crowd. <laughs> he goes off to pray. Simon, who, by the way, at this point, probably super happy he got out of that boat. Simon and, and the other followers, they track him down and they find him out in a desolate place and they say, what are you doing? You have garnered and gathered so much fame and power for yourself. Everyone is looking for you. What are you doing out here? Let's go. This is an amazing opportunity for us. What does Jesus say? What's his reply? Let us go on. Let's go to the next town. For that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I want to stop there. The next little bit of the chapter is a great story about Jesus cleansing a leper, which was the absolute outcast of their society. And it shows Jesus interacting with everyone um, and continues on the theme of his notoriety exploding at this time as the man goes and tells people what Jesus did for him. But I want to stop here because I want to go back and look at something that is huge. It's so important. And the original readers of, of this text would have seen this, but you know, it's easy to miss as a modern Gentile reader, Gentile being non-Jewish. And that's that Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath with the authority as a famous rabbi to give a new interpretation of the Torah. But the thing is, we don't know what he said. Mark, along with the rest of the Gospels, don't record their rabbi's interpretation of the Torah. That's crazy in a Jewish community. That is crazy. That's what you do as his followers. You're the ones who codify and then pass on your rabbi's teaching, especially if he's like one of the best rabbis around and he's giving a new interpretation. But Mark and all the other gospel teachers never tell us Jesus's interpretation of the Torah and the Talmud. There, there's a few clues in some of his sermons and a few things here and there. But the fact that they just say that in passing and then focus on what he did outside of the synagogue and his interactions with people, that that's what they were focused on, huge clue. And I think that's because Mark and the rest of the gospel authors, they compiled their accounts after Jesus's death and resurrection, right? I think by then they had come to a very important realization that Jesus was not a rabbi. Jesus calls them from their boat, their old way of living, right? The path that they were stuck on. He calls them to something new and exciting and amazing. And they're, they're like, oh, what a great opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Let's go. Dramatic exit. They think they're following a rabbi. We're going to be in Mark for a while. I want to encourage us to look at the story through the eyes of the disciples, because that's who we kind of are now as the followers of Jesus in the 21st century. And there's a progression for the disciples that they have to slowly learn, we're not following a rabbi. This is something entirely different. They have to come to terms with Jesus's identity as the Messiah, the Savior that his people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. And they do that. They, you know, the story, we see them begin to change and understand what they're in for. But it starts with Jesus leaving the synagogue. And I think that's what I want for us to take away today, is that if we only stay in the synagogue listening to good teaching, we are missing a huge part, not only of Jesus's call for us as his followers, but of his real power and authority to heal the sick and free the oppressed. Jesus didn't stay in the synagogue. Yes, he taught in the synagogue, and we will continue to do that in Kindred. Good teaching, gathering together on Sunday morning, that's important, and we're going to keep doing it. But if that is all that we are, we're missing so many good things.
Because we, just like the disciples jumping out of their boats, we don't follow a rabbi who gave a great teaching. We've chosen to follow a Lord who left the synagogue to change lives and transform communities and ultimately to save the world. And I think it's amazing that Jesus begins by going to his friend's house. Eventually, Jesus will reveal himself as the Messiah, that there is a cosmic shift happening, that everything before was old, and now he is the beginning. He and his followers are the beginning of something new. The world is changing. It's huge. They they don't really know that yet. (laughs) This is chapter one. This is where it starts. Jesus and his disciples leave the synagogue and go to their friend's house. And that's what I have for us today. I want us to be a community that shares our lives in such a way that we're inviting each other to our homes, that we're comfortable in each other's homes, that we are inviting each other to our kids' sports games and and school plays, that we're, you know, encouraging each other's work and livelihoods, that we're sharing and, and, and encouraging each other's hobbies and passion projects, that we've built the trust and the love amongst each other to be able to share not just our victories and our, our good things in our life, but also our difficulties and our failures so that we can lament with each other as well as celebrate with each other. And that's because Jesus left the synagogue, went to his friend's house, and that's where he found out about the sick mother-in-law and was able to heal her. If we only know each other on Sunday morning, we'll probably never know about the metaphorical sick mother-in-law back home. And we're going to miss out on the power and authority of the spirit of Jesus that resides within all of us to be a part of that. So I want us to be a community that shares our lives with each other, not just our Sunday mornings, because that's where we're going to find the sick mother-in-law that needs healing. That's where we're going to join the power of Jesus to heal and free ourselves and free each other from oppression. We get to be part of that. This was in the disciples' home. They got to be a part of this miraculous healing. Jesus was the showstopper in the synagogue. Then he went to their house and healed Simon's mother-in-law. That's so personal. She couldn't even get up when there was guests in her home. She wasn't going to make it to the synagogue. And we do see scenes of people bringing people to Jesus while he's teaching. And there's important lessons in there. But what I want for us to to take away from the story is that the good teaching in the synagogue, it's good. And we'll continue to do it. But over this next year, I hope that Kindred as a community and an organization begins to think about how can we go out into our region and bring that power of Jesus to save and to heal and to free out into our community for sure. Because that's what Jesus does. Even after doing all these amazing things in Capernaum, his next step is let's keep going. And I hope that over this next year, we we start to think about that. But what can we offer as we build this community that people need? But first, it begins with us. It begins with us building that community. And that means taking risks, being vulnerable with each other, but also earning that trust to be vulnerable with each other, right? So if we're just here in the synagogue listening to good teaching, that's great. But Jesus isn't just in here. Jesus left the synagogue. So let's go follow our Lord into each other's lives. Let's go into each other's homes. Let's be a part of each other's lives enough that we know where the sick mother-in-law is. And we can be a part of an amazing thing happening in each other's lives. Because that's where the freedom happens. That's where the healing happens. If we're just smiling and glad-handing each other on Sunday morning, and that's all you ever know about these people, you're going to miss out on a lot of things that Jesus has for you. And we miss out on that for your life. And then once we build that community, then we can go out into our 21st century world of Reno, Nevada and start to partner with the spirit of our Lord out in the world, healing the sick and freeing the oppressed. But first, let's do that with each other. Let's practice it with each other first, because there's plenty of work that Jesus is doing in our lives outside of Church Sunday. We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. Kindred Church is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you find value in the ministry of Kindred Church and would like to contribute to our efforts, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.